our discussion tonight is about the gig economy and prospects in East Africa. So it's quite an interesting discussion to have at this point because of uh, the various considerations of where the gig economy is moving towards, but then also the history within East Africa and what it looks like. So as you will appreciate from the discussions that we have, each country, each region presents different and unique aspects, which once like the digital um, economy comes in, then it, there's, there's a different outcome to it. So it's very good to have our panelists tonight as who have introduced themselves. Um, and we will go right on to the discussion and we will go back and forth with each panelist uh, giving their thought on the topic. But if I could quickly highlight on what Africa Asia does. So Africa Asia is a platform where uh, we have discussions on issues that affect Africa, but these are issues within the digital economy, within uh, tax, within uh, Africa trade. And the whole idea is to just have people from different African countries exchanging ideas and discussing things that would help uh, move the continent forward and give thoughts and input on policies that are made within the continent. So as far as the gig economy is concerned, if I may give just a quick definition of what it is, it's this economy which is characterized by temporary flexible jobs um, where you know companies hire independent contractors, freelancers instead of full-time employees. And then um, it's different from the traditional economy where the traditional economy, they are full-time workers who often focus on their career development. And then the work within the gig economic economy will range from uh, driving for Uber, delivering food. So within East Africa, there's Uber, there's Global, there's the local businesses that have the same kind of freelance uh, kind of work. There's also like freelance writing of articles, writing code, and that kind of thing. So uh, it, it's that kind of environment. But then also within East Africa, there's the informal sector, the completely informal sector, which is not even driven by the digital economy. So I will first go with uh, Becky, and you can start off the discussion. Uh, speak. You can give perspectives both uh, from Kenya and also from observations in South Africa where you're based. Like, uh, what is the scenario of the gig economy? And what is the interaction between the formal and the informal sectors? And also, what when we're speaking about the gig economy, how much can a person working within that economy earn to support uh, their living? Thank you. Uh, thanks, Christine. I think uh, in terms of um, where we are, I would say, first of all, on the question of what are the prospects for or in East Africa, I've, I find the gig economy as a fitting model for expanding the economy in East Africa. And generally for developing countries, it's been a very favorable uh development for several reasons. And I'll use um, Kenya as an example because, because we have some good data about the informal economy. So there are three things that um, I think make the gig economy a very, uh, you know, favorable thing. And the first thing is in Kenya, informal employment accounts for over 80% of total jobs. That was even before the gig economy, but 
in the current situation, a 2019 survey by Kenya National Bureau of Statistics showed that in 2019, out of 840,000 uh, jobs that were created in 2019, 762,000 of them were in the informal sector. So that would be all your Jokali people or the freelancers. So with the backdrop of this is how it's been historically that we have more jobs in the informal sector than in the formal sector, it means that we are no strangers to freelancing and on-demand services. The only thing that is different now is that the gig economy is technologically powered or technologically enabled. So that makes it, and that's why I think it's not been very difficult for people to move their services to, of course, there have been friction here and there, like the, the taxi industry, but it hasn't been that difficult for people to move from what they were doing to adopting these platforms because we are already used to most of our workforce being uh, informal. And then the second factor that I think makes it ripe for uh, East Africa is we have available labor. And using Africa in general, we have the youngest workforce and we have the highest unemployment. So you have a young generation, people who are graduating from you know, universities and high schools who there are no formal jobs. There are no white collar jobs for them. We are churning them at a higher rate because we have a very good uh, population growth rate, but we don't have enough formal jobs to absorb them. So the coincidence here is that you have we have more young people than other places in, in the world. So which means that this generation is more tech savvy. And therefore, they are able to keep up with these trends and take up these opportunities. So that's why you have a lot of young people taking up jobs as riders, as Uber drivers. So that's the second thing. We have labor. The third thing is mobile money. It's one of the things that has made it easy for people to um, quickly transition, like for a taxi driver to transition to, you know, taking Uber and, and, and the others and freelancers or with all who do all other kinds of jobs, in, including online writing and things like that. One of the major issues with new technologies is, you know, resistance. It depends how foreign that technology and that transition feels to someone. But for instance, if you tell someone in Kenya you can only pay for you can only pay for services using cards or cash, that would be a lot of business lost there in between. But when you tell a gig worker, whatever a freelancer to write articles for you, and you can pay them by M-Pesa, or you tell a taxi driver if they're on the platform, someone can pay directly to the M-Pesa. That reduces a lot of um, adopt, a huge adoption barrier where people are already comfortable with mobile money with the payment mechanism behind the gig platform. So those are the three factors that I think make um, the gig economy ripe because we are, we are ready for it because we need these jobs that the informal sector can create, that the gig economy can create because we have people, we are churning them by the millions every year and we don't have jobs in the formal economy that can um, that they, that they can plug into and i don't think there is any projection that countries are going to be able to create that amount of matching uh, formal jobs in the formal economy so the gig economy is is sort of a very good solution and the fact that the, the most of our people who are unemployed are young means they're also likely to be 
tech savvy so it won't be a barrier because also adoption of technology would be a barrier if the people who need the jobs are not skilled to use this kind of technologies so in a broad sense that's what i feel about the prospects for east africa thank you thanks a lot uh, that's quite some good insight jen uh, do you like what's the perspective from uganda and also if you could speak about uh, how digitalized are the gigs in uganda within the the informal sector or and is there a need to like move more from just the informal sector out, outside the digital economy into the digital economy transition that all right uh thanks a lot so so first of all say that the rebecca's uh, submission about kenya and maybe south africa based of high experiences would apply to Uganda as well because of similar cultures similar challenges and almost similar stages of development uh, in where we are but just to give the Uganda perspective so historically uh, the gig economy or gigs were synonymous with creatives so you really only had you know this concept being used by musicians or poets or um, or DJs or other creatives that had an avenue to sell their service and a lot of the other professions uh, you know writers and journalists or broadcasters did not really have uh, that flexibility for independence or a platform to sell their services to markets so almost had to be tied to or institutionalized to a company for example if you know in the past this very segment or this discussion would have to be held in a radio or TV but with the advent of technology you know we've had a platform to do this so that's sort of the uh, the history of it to my mind however with the advent of technology this has created a platform for virtually every professional or every person to be able to sell the service that they have so again tying this to the question that you asked um historically again a lot of what we call the gig economy will have been somewhat informal and very little formality to it but again with the advent of technology and 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 more interest from bigger players i i think the gig economy is becoming more formalized for example you have teachers and accountants having their own youtube channels and being able to sell their services independently or as freelancers something that you couldn't do a few years ago so there's definitely a trend towards formalizing the gig economy and this applies across you know in transportation uh in 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 accommodation instead of going to a hotel now i can literally go into my um airbnb and book accommodation you know that flexibility that comes with it and also to add to that if the past year taught us anything uh it's the need and the importance of flexibility and and convenience that we all need when it comes to accessing different services you know with covid it quickly became important to us or we realized how important it is for me to sit in the comfort of my home and be able to purchase or or do my shopping or order for goods or whatever it is that i wanted to do and there's no better economy i think at this point to give that to us and the gig economy because one uh it gives us access to very many individuals willing to provide the service and also because there's a lot of competition to provide that service uh the quality 
of those services is only getting better and better. Secondly, because the, uh, again, coming from an, an, an investment background, there's a, a lot more interest by the capital markets in the gig economy. So we're likely to see a lot more capital being injected in this sector or this gig economy. And the, the services as we know them today or the economy as we know it today is going to get better. And that, that alone will drive it from its current informal nature towards a, a more formal economy or avenue for services. So again, from my experience with Uganda and my observations, that is sort of the trend that I see. Thanks a lot for that perspective from Uganda. So um, Felix, if I may ask, because you have the understanding of how the Kenya informal sector works, how how much, you know, like the Juakali sector, which for those who don't know what that sector is, Felix will try and explain a bit. And then uh, also seeing from your living experience outside of Kenya and how yep. the gig economy is working, like in the US, how far apart are they and how can even people within the informal sector within Kenya, like bridge that gap by moving more towards the digital side? Okay. Thank you for the question. Yeah, uh, well, uh, I'll start by providing a perspective on uh, my observation on um, like um, the disparities between Kenya and, uh, and the U.S. in terms of the digital economy. I just think um, that uh, the U.S. is a little bit um, ahead in terms of the digital economy and uh, the number of people embracing it. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a bit more, and uh, this is uh, this definitely has to have to do with uh, the stages of development of the between the two countries. Um, the U.S. is pretty much embraced uh, technology fully. Most people are tech savvy, and then um, there's also the just uh, the normal attitudes between people. Like um, people, people in the U.S. are more open towards like uh, things like. Um, uh, online shopping, the delivery of food, uh, like, um, for example, I would, I would, I would quote, uh, one of the apps that I use that, uh, is called a Grab Hub, where I pretty much just go in and, uh, select what I want and then somebody will deliver it. So start that, that person delivering it. And it's, not, it's almost like an Uber Eats. But then, um, our attitude mostly like, um, when I was in Kenya, I couldn't order it. I was like, I need to go and actually get it myself. So pretty much that's a, that would, uh, would become one of the driving factors that uh, that would need if we, if uh, Kenya is to move like for example to embracing more of a gig economy and creating employment from that sector those are the changes in attitudes that would have to happen and uh, rightfully so they're already happening and uh, more and more people are actually accepting like um, they're, they're beginning to understand to to just uh, view like um, the online deliveries being similar to just uh, somebody taking a task off you. And um, I think uh, uh, most Kenyan, uh, most East Africa in general, is pretty, is pretty like um, well positioned in terms of uh, taking advantage of it in the sense that uh, uh, for a gig economy to actually, from my perspective, for a gig economy to actually be successful, you need, um, you need a lot of um, like, um, technological i would say like uh, i'll give an example of the of access to the internet uh, that would uh, that would be one of the major factors because pretty much 
it's the interaction between between uh, like the buyer and the seller in this sense uh, the person receiving uh, the service and the person actually offering it usually happens over the internet so the point is if uh, if uh, like there's more there's more penetration of the internet in a, in a certain area it's more likely that the gig economy will actually work in that place as opposed to any other place that uh, that uh, that does not offer the same and um, rightfully so Kenyan internet is pretty much cheap now uh, apparently you can get a 1gb a 1gb um internet bundle for a whole day for about um, let's say a hundred or so or sometimes the Safaricom runs offers or Airtel runs offers. So I think that 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 from my perspective is makes it uh, makes Kenya a ripe place for for actually the gig economy. But then also there's also the perspective of the people offering the service. Because in the US it's driven by mostly people selecting uh, a certain kind of lifestyle they want to live and having jobs that and getting gigs that would actually fit that lifestyle and as opposed to being stuck on um, on one place in the, a form of employment that um, they they feel like they have to do it to make a living so it's more driven by the person looking for a sense of freedom and this is uh, i see it more more on the millennial side who don't like being tied it's just a, it's just a, like a trend. It's a lifestyle trend where people are choosing like, hey, I want to be in charge of my own time. And the gig economy offers that. It offers them a chance to earn the money they would have earned if they actually worked on a, on a nine to five job, but also offering the freedom for them to choose and make decisions about if they want to go to work, if they don't want to do it. Yeah, so that one pretty much would have uh, would also uh, also has an impact on it, because in Kenya, uh, I would say that the gig economy is mostly driven by the by necessity, given that um, as as mentioned by Becky, as in it's more about um, people who have no jobs, trying to make a living, which that 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 is also a disparity on this other side, but then. Um, it's a, it's also like um, those two can, for lack of a better word, I would say marry them, in the sense that uh, these people are unemployed, but they have the necessary skills. Uh, the Kenyan workforce is pretty much uh, one of the most educated, if not, uh, yeah, in Africa. So pretty much that that makes them a prime for, for for anything that they can do. Like for example, we have writers doing doing papers for. Anyway, I I know this is a moral issue, but uh, apparently that's part of the gig economy. They do papers for people in the UK and uh, the US. But then, given that we have like a huge workforce that is tech savvy, that is well educated, that makes uh, the gig economy perfect. It's just perfect for them because I can see it anywhere. I can do an article for someone, and they can pay me. And they and uh, rightfully so with with the with the mobile money and um, PayPal and everything, anybody anybody can pay me. So from my perspective, is the factors are right for Kenyan to actually embrace the gig economy, but there's still some some leap that has to be taken in terms of people's attitudes and uh, just their view of the gig economy. Because also there's also the element that uh, to some extent, the gig economy has not been recognized as an actual 
form of employment like um, or not even employment like a source of living so sometimes some people view it as a, a bit lesser than the former ones and uh, also there's also the factor that um, a consistent income is is more highly rated than a gig economy because a gig economy pretty much is runs differently from a day to day but uh, from my perspective that, that that that's probably a wrong view but uh, it's it's more of an old view of how like people should earn a living because if i can make uh, enough uh, to last me for a month within the, the within 3 days of some work i did then that should that should be totally okay and uh, nobody should be actually be discouraged from that because they like the gig economy brings in a, a reshuffling of skills i offer my skills where they they are most needed and if i'm offering my skills where they are most needed most likely i'll be paid that person whoever I'm offering them they will be willing to pay more than a place where i have to offer it because i have an employment contract so that means every, it's a win-win situation. The, comp- the, the companies that employ uh, gig workers get the best skills, and the company and the person offering it gets compensated enough for his role. So I think that that perspective also needs to grow in people, and that people just need to realize that well, the gig economy offers an alternative, an alternative to the unemployment, an alternative to the formal employment that that uh, is is relied on at this point i think that would be my perspective and uh, that would be the leap that i see between the us and uh, east africa in general in terms of the gig economy felix that's very good input you've given uh, and especially a few things you've said i just thought this is a, like such spot on uh, like observations especially on um, the perspective that almost looks at the gig economy as being less ranking to the formal economy and i'll say in the perspective also of look at even like the government um how how the government will treat especially like for social security benefits uh for people within the gig economy like uh, medical benefits because if you see how the systems are set up let's say like within kenya like there's the national social security fund i mean it's not a lot but if you're within the gig economy and you're, you know, like you're just freelancing for jobs, then that uh, you'll not uh, be covered on that. But then, um, because there's no employer and yourself uh, to contribute to it. But then also, uh, the good thing, the thing I'll say, I think from observations of how the perspective that Kenya has been taking, is that I think in 2019, uh, the government uh, set up a fund to encourage uh, freelance digital work. So it's called the Ajira Digital Fund. It looks like this is something the government should start encouraging the country where they tell um, young people, if you don't have a job, what you need to do is that enable yourself digitally, get digital skills, code, do something, and then uh, write, do online writing. Like they literally invested quite a bit um, and, and they rolled out programs within universities to equip people to be able to take advantage of, of gigs as they come up. But then also, you know, like the regulations of that kind of thing, they might help to just uh, pull up that economy and almost, uh, you know, like how they rolled out the training in the universities. Then for the education also to be shifted more for someone to know that you can be informally employed and earn a living, you know. And then uh, also, I think, as you said, uh, one seems to be like a lifestyle choice, while the other 
seems to be it's out of necessity, like you are unemployed. So uh, doing uh, working with Uber is just really the only thing you can do. And that's why you hear like like for Uber, the drivers in Kenya, and even if I think even the UK and, and the US at some point, they went to court seeking to be recognized as employees of Uber and not independent contractors. But anyway, uh, these are very good observations on this, uh, on that. Becky, if I, I'll, I'll come back to you. Uh, and now this one is because I would, I'm asking you because you're doing your PhD and this is a research that has been done. So researchers have warned that growing a reliance on standard employment, it creates fragmentation of incomes and opportunities. So what that means is that because you just earn based on like you do like an hour job today and then do a certain uh, number of hours and odd jobs again there depending on the gig then what that means is that your income is fragmented and as as a result what that means is that even if you are to save or uh, the, your money to invest then also the investments need to be relooked at because your income is not as consolidated so uh becky if you could comment on that and also maybe on the need for education systems within the region that needs to be possibly relooked at uh, to accommodate the gig economy. It needs a lot of self-drive and it's almost entrepreneurial. You must want it and look out for these opportunities. Like, is there more training that's needed on that? Uh, so, Becky, if you could speak up about those two points. Thank you, Christine. So, yeah, there is a lot of concern. As much as we are excited as, as Africans, as technologists, that technology is coming and it's offering these employment opportunities where people are previously not able to find them. We are, we are excited and I'm personally of, of the opinion. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in tech, but I, I look at tech as a double-edged sword. It, it, it gives and it takes. So I'm usually cautious when I'm, you know, talking about the potential that a certain technology has. And that's no different when you think about the gig economy. And the main thing is that most workers, like if you're a rider for a delivery uh, service or, or, or um, mo mostly the ones that have a central platform or an Uber driver, these people, these workers are caught between a profit maximizing enterprise and customers with high expectations. So what happens when you, when we like consumers of services move to the gig economy, we have higher expectations than we would have had if it was, you know, some random guy that you called to do a delivery for you. So these workers are caught in between companies that want to maximize their profits and customers who want very high quality of service. And on the other side, they are not formally employed by these companies. So there are several things that they don't have, and, and some of these has been highlighted by, by you and Felix. So, for instance, things are changing, but initially there were, you know, riders and drivers who didn't have accident, even accident cover. Like, besides your car being insured, there is nothing specific you know that gives you comprehensive you know like for instance if you're if you're if you're an employee in a company most companies have something like accidental death cover or disability cover that's over and above your personal health insurance 
and, and, and other things. So there are several things that these workers don't have. By virtue of being caught in between, they're not formally employed and they're not, they're not formally employed by the companies and they're not fully self-employed. So there are several things that they lack. The income fragmentation that you talked about, which makes it very difficult if you want maybe to buy a car the bank doesn't, most formal financial institutions really prefer a, a very consistent stream of income. So even that insurance, even insurers want to see a stream of income, like you want to be sure that you'll be able to pay your premiums. So that is the main problem, being caught in between. But there is some hope. It's not, you know, there is some hope at the end of the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's a lot of work that will need to be done to first of all, you know, guarantee these employees a minimum wage. Some of, there is no guarantee because there's the variety of platforms is so wide. We at least know the big ones and some of them have transparent um, payment uh, systems and, and, and service, you know, you're sure of what's your cut and what's their cut. But as you go further down with smaller platforms, things get very vague. So there are people who get exploited in between. And I think COVID also brought out some of these issues in, in cases where we needed these delivery guys. They were out there risking their lives, but they were not treated as essential workers. They were not given PPE but because they are not an employee of the company. So the company doesn't take the obligation to provide them with PPE. Yet they're out there when COVID is you know, thriving and nobody is taking care of them they're expected to take to get money out of their small cut to buy ppe and and do covid tests and all the other compliance that is needed so that is the biggest problem in that they're caught in between and the light at the end of the tunnel is that there are some organizations that are you know doing advocacy for platform um, uh, gig workers to make sure that their welfare, the welfare of gig workers is upheld as a matter of priority because these workers are not, if, if there is no such advocacy going on, they end up being the horse, you know, on the, on the profit side, Uber, Airbnb, and everyone else is happy when work is being done and income is streaming. On this side, if it's raining outside and I want to eat a pizza, I'm happy to just dial and just, you know, get out of the house quickly for one minute with an umbrella. I don't care what happens in between. So if there is no advocacy going on to make sure that the welfare of gig workers is upheld, they end up just being remaining there in between and suffering the consequences, you know, of, of having to do what they must do, especially in, in Africa, as we talked about, they're not doing it because it's a choice. It's a life choice. They're doing it because that's what they, probably the only opportunity they have for, for livelihood. So there are two organizations that I want to highlight that are making you know good strides in that direction of advocacy. So the World Economic Forum and Fair Work Project. So uh, WEF enforced the charter with the Charter of Principles for Good Platform Work, which has several of the big gig companies. Your know, Uber is there, Deliveroo, and and a few others. And Fair Work also has a similar framework which outlines. Um, Five fair work principles, essentially fair pay, that um, every every deliver every worker, every gig worker should be should receive decent pay, and that pay should be you know given to them in a timely manner, not you know with delays. It should be you know commensurate with the period when the task was completed, 
and then fair conditions like protection from risks at work and we've had stories all kinds of stories uh things happening to like drivers being abducted and carjacked and all sorts of things so what happens uh, what happens to you what's the responsibility of the platform that you're working for when such a thing happens to you it, it just can't be left open to oh we are just contracted you so if you get abducted or killed sorry it, it just can that just can't um, be the situation so and then the third is fair contract so that the terms and conditions and pricing and every little thing is transparent not not just in a document that has a lot of legal jargon in a way that this person is not able to make sense of the terms and, and conditions that they're working with and those fine print being get getting pulled out when there, there's a situation that the platform needs to defend itself against and then fair management is at least there should be a clear process um when when a gig worker has a complaint or any sort of issue there should be a very clear process that they're able to follow and it being not just a, like a customer care number or a call center number or an email but there should be clear and equitable outcomes such that there should be like a service charter of within what period should an issue be resolved and and what kind of response should be given to different kinds of issues and then fair representation for gig workers to have the right to you know form groups which they can use to collectively make negotiations and, and for the uh, platforms to uh, commit to cooperate with such requests for negotiations so i think fair work is is um, i'm not very familiar with uh, the how far wef has gone on the ground but i'm i'm aware that fair work is doing a lot of work in africa in south africa they're very very active and i think globally they are in 20 countries already so i'm aware that they are the strongest um if i would speak about my my experience they, and because they're doing the work not just they're doing both research and and advocacy so that whatever they are advocating for is backed by empirical scientific data of what's happening on the ground so having such be benchmarks of how gig workers should be treated both by the platforms they're, they're, they're working for and the customers is one of the best ways to ensure that, you know, the welfare of the gig workers is taken care of and they, they're doing that as a source of livelihood and not feeling caught that I must do this, I can't stop being a rider because I will go hungry. It should be, they should have the same, you know, level of pride and, and contentment as they do the job as someone else who wakes up and to go to the office i think now that um now that that ties to on the attitude side and felix mentioned that i think there is a lot of digital literacy training that needs to happen that's one of the needs because as as felix mentioned there is an attitude thing where i don't know whether it's a mistrust or just because technology has been um the future of technology in Africa has been slower, so we've, we've had we have less experience with technology compared to developed countries. I think that that that's an issue of you know sometimes wanting to see things and like, like hard cash. Um, I'm happy that moving from hard cash to mobile money wasn't too difficult for us, but I think for people to agree like to shop online and get things deli delivered. It's a, there is still something that needs to happen there. 
and 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 also attitude not attitudes on only on the consumer side but also on you know in people's minds for me to feel like i am a graduate and it doesn't take any dignity away from me if i decide to drive an uber because at the end of the day it's about livelihood it's uh, there are people who are working in offices and they're stressed and they want to quit but they can't quit because that's that's what pays their rent so it, there should we should have we should get to the level where the person that gets a job in an office and and keeps that job and the person that decides to write articles online or drive an uber or rent uh, airbnbs they should feel you know that's the same level of pride in understanding that this life is about making a meet and and getting a satisfaction from what you do and and some of the advantages of, of being a gig worker is you can you can do several different things you, you can be an artist uh, who maybe before your your art starts paying you're still paying your bills so it gives you even more flexibility than an office job that you paying your rent would do so i think that level of um literacy to understand what what does it mean to be a, a, a gig worker and also even at a family level i can imagine if, if i graduated today and told my mother that i want to go be a writer delivering because it would be a very uncomfortable conversation so we we need it you know from the ground up to so find more of those situations where families are looking down on, on on their sons or daughters because they're doing gig work because there are people who are holding jobs white collar jobs and they're stressed and they can't quit because same pressure so we just need to understand that pressure is pressure and and as a society be more open and, and welcoming to this new way of life this new way of, of livelihoods and um i think uh, i can't remember what I, it was john or um or felix that mentioned internet access i think it was felix internet access obviously is a big big um either enabler or barrier to how quickly we're able to move because for someone who is in a place that has no internet internet access or internet access is expensive they're going to have to do things the, the good old way so we need uh, internet to internet access and affordability to be you know incrementally in, enhanced especially in in urban areas it, it's good but what we don't want to have is for the gig economy to expand and for that to also increase the digital divide and that is already an issue where you have the pe people who are higher up on the on the social pyramid who they're tech savvy and they're well off they are the ones who currently you would say are getting the biggest benefits from from the gig economy because they get the convenience and flexibility flexibility that you know they can take an airbnb they take an uber to an airbnb and call a delivery so you would say that there are people who are currently reaping more benefits because if you think about it then these services compared to the kind of convenience they give you the the higher up you are on the on the social pyramid the less you even feel like you just need that convenience for you not to drive to a place maybe if you went out partying you just want you know someone who pick me up and drop me at, at home on and i can order some food on the way so that in terms of the benefits it's it's still not balanced you still have more benefits going higher up in the social pyramid while the breadcrumbs uh, are flowing down but we would like it to be a little bit more balanced and that's where these kinds of uh, advocacy and frameworks will, will will come into play to balance that out so that you have people who are earning a decent livelihood from this 
while they offer the convenience that you know uh, that people are who are able to pay for those services need in their lives. So I think that's um, that would be my uh, comments about the kind of challenges that not that that we anticipate challenges that are already there and what can probably be done about it. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, very good insights and just very honest uh, observations about uh, how the response you'd get uh, having graduated from law school and saying that I now want to offer my service as a dancer uh, in a gig. <laughs> the response you'd get to that within um, Kenya, for instance, uh, not a very good response. Sorry, I was going to say your father would ask for for the school fees back. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> and it's fair to say it's not across every African country. So, for instance, like in South Africa, if you can if, if you can look at even the different focus, even within school, like theater and arts and plays and dance, you literally find someone seriously taking their dancing and they are doing a master's in dancing. And because... It's based on this is what I enjoy doing and this is what I'll do and I'll work through the gigs to you know to get this done. But uh, Jane, coming to you, um, if you could uh, make comments, especially from the pers your perspective of uh, Uganda and also from your current uh, living Bermuda, like what's the how do you compare them uh, in terms of like the adoption and the attitude towards uh, the gig economy? And also uh, your remarks on what are the prospects when you look at Uganda, like what would you look at and say, this is someone could focus more about on this or if this attitude could change or if these policies could change, mm -hmm. then the economy would pick up. All right. Uh, thanks a lot. Just to answer the first question in trying to compare uh, the gig economy in Bermuda, where I currently live, versus Uganda, I, I think I'll just borrow from what Felix explained earlier on uh, in his comparison of the United States and Kenya. Now, Bermuda is a you know developed country, uh, and I would pretty much compare it to the United States. And the main difference for me that I see comparing the gig economy here and the one in Uganda, again, comes down to the attitudes that people have towards this kind of work and towards making money out of uh, this kind of economy. Again, going back to Uganda, we are still traditional in nature. You know, we all want to be doctors and accountants and, and lawyers and hopefully build a career in that way. Then it's only those that really fail to get jobs uh, in that line of work that then look at, look to the gig economy as an alternative. However, those attitudes are starting to change. Uh, coming to Bermuda, again, you know, just like any other place, most people would desire to build a career in, um, in you know, the traditional uh, professions or lines of work. However, even those that have branched off and have opted into the gig economy, they're never looked down upon. Actually, they're even respected. And if someone, for example, branches out and starts a business, uh, they're usually applauded by the society and you really see the support. Again, it goes back to the attitudes that people have towards this kind of work and maybe the understanding of, of making a living. Uh, so for, for I would say that's the main uh, difference that I see. Uh, again, looking at the trends in Uganda and, and going back to my earlier submission, you know, the advent of the internet, um, 
more money being uh, pumped into this economy. So, for example, having the big players, Uber and Airbnb and different uh, you know, PE funds or venture capitalists putting their money down to support the gig economy will start to change these attitudes. Because I, I, I think these attitudes are really driven by, first of all, who uh, invested their time in the gig economy initially. It was mostly the informal sector or people that we looked at as failures or who had failed to make a living through what we think is the original or traditional channel and opted for this as a last resort. But a lot of that is starting to change because we now see even professionals uh, getting into the gig economy and trying to make a living out of it. So that eventually we'll get there and, and the attitudes will try to change. It might take some time, but I think we're on that path. Uh, getting to your second, your second question and uh, which is on what are the prospects for the gig economy. And I want to look at it from the opportunities that it presents and zero down on the uh, point of employment and unemployment. So currently in Uganda, which is also a story for most of Africa, there's very high levels of unemployment. There's not enough jobs within the traditional sector to employ all our young people. And because the gig economy coupled with the internet opens up a whole avenue uh, through which people can then sell their services. This has presented a lot of opportunity for a lot of our unemployed people or even people that are not skilled in the traditional um, professions to be able to make a living and earn a living. And we can almost say that, you know, the gig economy will help solve the problem of unemployment, but there are caveats to that. We might solve the issue of unemployment but then we might create a problem of underemployment, which many times borders, uh, you know, borders uh, almost slavery and exploitation. And again, I'll try and uh, relate that to Rebecca's submission earlier on. A lot of people who work in the gig economy, more so if you subscribe to a platform or a much bigger player, are susceptible to exploitation. An example is Uber. I don't have the specifics of the cases there, but I think I've seen something before where there was uh, different people that worked for Uber, you know, didn't think they were getting a fair share of their services. And, you know, this is even made worse by the fact that a lot of the regulations or even policies at the national level haven't caught up yet with a gig economy. They're not well regulated. No one really knows what's going on in that sector. And you know, hopefully, uh, again, going back to Rebecca's submission, uh, that you know, uh, you know, the discussions that are currently ha happening at the World Economic Forum and the other organization will come in and try and and, and solve some of the issues around uh, welfare for the people that work in, in this economy, more so those that are subscribed to larger players are well taken care of. So I, I think the prospects are, are very good in terms of solving the issue of unemployment, but we have to be a little careful uh, in, in terms of how that will be done and making sure the right processes are followed, the right uh, regulations and policies are put in place to protect these people that work in this economy. And once this is done, hopefully even the attitudes uh, of, of the masses in general will start to change as the economy gets a little more respect 
and, and, and more attention as a legitimate way to earn a living. Thanks a lot uh, for and, those comments. Uh -huh. Felix, did you want to say something? Yeah, yeah I, I want to say something about uh, what Gina just said. Uh, in terms of um, of um, like uh, regulating it and ensuring that everybody is treated fairly, I think uh, there also needs to be a shift in the in um, the regulatory of uh, in terms of uh, the labor laws, because uh, I feel at this point the way the labor laws are constituted, they are mostly tailored towards um, the formal sector, and uh, the employer-employee relationship. It does not take into account the gig economy because the gig economy, you're not my employer. I'm not. I'm not like. Um, I'm not employed under you, but I only serve for a limited time. So I don't think. I don't think they get uh, the the gig workers don't get a lot of. They don't get covered by the labor laws. So in my opinion, there also need to be actually a shift in that one, and they actually need to like. It's it's almost like an update of um, of the laws. To catch up with the with the oncoming trends that what is happening currently, that that will be the the thing that would probably move it from being viewed as a, it could be it could be a detrimental in terms of exploitation to something that this is a legitimate uh, uh, source of income. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, agree more, and especially because I've read somewhere someone comparing uh, the possible outcome of the gig workers being what in the past uh, would be uh, workers wake up in the morning, go sit somewhere, an employer comes, takes them at will, uh, tells them go to the plantation, do this and that, and then they fire you at will, they can tell you go away, they may not pay you, and then um, you are not guaranteed of any work, so it's just a cue. I mean, it was just an explanation of what, unless the labor laws catch up with that, you know, like for instance, how do you deal with when someone is sick? Uh, right now, if you have formal employment, you can get paid sick leave. If a lady goes on maternity leave, uh, they will be paid for that period. But if you're working through the gig economy, most times you really have to work through those uh, those periods. So it's quite, uh, I think I agree, uh, labor laws um, need to catch up with that. And uh, good thing is that uh, I think we will have a discussion uh, at some point, uh, which I will invite lawyers uh, to crack their brains on how the labor laws could catch up with that. Uh, so if we could get your closing remarks, I will start with Jean, if you could give your closing remarks on the topic, uh, and then Becky, and then Felix, then we'll wrap it up. Okay, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, again, you know, the, the gig economy, I, when I was preparing for this um, this discussion there's there's just so much it's it's a whole you know different world i don't think one hour or two hours are alone are enough for us to dissect and, and consider all the issues so i'm hoping maybe at some point we shall revisit it more so uh you know listening to the different presenters it's very clear that there's a lot of opportunities that it presents there's so many challenges uh, to discuss and there's so many considerations to look at so i'm, I'm hoping we'll have uh or rather more opportunities to discuss and dissect the gig economy but my closing remarks will be again from where i see it as an observer there's so much that can be done through the gig economy again again just moving away from what we've traditionally seen as as gig economies, most of our examples have been Uber and, and, and Lyft and Airbnb, Glove, but that is, I think, just one 
you know aspect of it there's more and more professionals you know accountants and lawyers uh starting to embrace the gig economy and providing their services directly to their consumers as opposed to uh, doing it through an institution or being institutionalized so it, it presents a lot of opportunities not just for what's considered the informal sector but also for the formal sector and because of the breadth of the market uh even the competition uh, that comes with the gig economy alone is not an impediment towards accessing that market because the gig economy is literally targeting each and every one of us but the only different thing is that we are dealing directly with a service provider so uh in in closing there's a lot of opportunities uh for the gig economy and a lot more attention should be paid towards it because of its potential to solve a lot of the problems that we face uh as a community in in especially in Africa thank you okay um thanks a lot jane for that uh becky your closing remarks please oh this has been very interesting especially getting the different perspectives and being able to you know juxtapose where we are in africa versus in developed countries but my closing remarks are you know just three points and the first one as i would agree with john that we have a good opportunity in our hands that we should definitely exploit because it's addressing one of the biggest problems which is high unemployment which is predicted to continue but the gig economy is likely to help us with that problem but the second one is advocacy 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 while we wait for the laws for the national laws as we know not just in in the gig economy or or, or digital transformation but generally national laws are way way behind from catching up with different areas of technology be it cybersecurity or other areas so while we wait for the laws to catch up i think our current bet is on advocacy both you know from all angles from us as users we need to be aware of what the workers are going through and take any opportunity to participate in any kind of place where public participation is invited to make sure that we are looking out for the welfare of the gig workers because if if the, if the workers are treated well this the gig economy serves to collectively benefit us as a society in in the sense that it will be a profitable venture for the companies who develop and and maintain the technology it will be a sustainable source of livelihood for the workers and and for us as you know society as individuals will be able to enjoy the convenience and flexibility that it, it that these services provide us but for us to do that there are um still there's still work that needs to be done and i also can't fail to highlight that one of the other major issues that has been noted with the gig economy is you know it's 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 embedding some of the traditional uh inequalities that we've we've had and for for generations for for example like gender inequality you have very few riders female riders very few female drivers so they some of uh, um, as part of the literacy that we were talking about and changes in attitude you have for example a uh, uh, sweep south is a is a platform in it's south african but they recently expanded to kenya it's a domestic work platform where you can dial a cleaner and you know say whether you want them to come and clean or just iron something for you and things like that 
you have even on their website when you go to sweeps out website it's just photos of women 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 on when whenever there is an ad for uber or there is a recent one that launched here called Didi, the, the, the Chinese one. The ads are all male, male, male drivers. So we are, you know, we are embedding the traditional inequalities onto the gig economy. And I think that's an issue that needs to be addressed so that if I am, I have the opportunity and, and the competence, I'm a good driver and I feel like, you know, I would like to be a rider, to, to be doing deliveries in my free time. I should feel as a woman that it's a it's a safe place for me to be able to make an income that way. Like I think in my whole life of riding for the last couple of years, I've only ridden in three, you know, uh, vehicles driven by, by ladies. So that's an issue. And, and it, it, it shows itself even on the surface as the example I've given that we are embedding those traditional gender roles, even in the kind of branding that we do and advertisement that we're doing. So that's also another issue that I can't fail to, to highlight because we are talking about you're in the 21st century. There's probably a man out there who enjoys cooking and cleaning. And if they say they're going to sign up on sweeps out, you know, people are going to scream. So we need to be also conscious as we do advocacy for welfare. We also need to do um, other kinds of public awareness and, and other forms of literacy so that we, we make sure that we don't carry over these inequalities into, into the new world that we're entering. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Those are very good observations. Felix. Your closing remarks. Okay. All right. Um, uh, to me, the gig economy almost seems like trade. It benefits both. Um, it creates efficiency in terms of uh, companies are able to get uh, the best skilled workers for the for the right jobs, and um, also to some extent, uh, uh, make sure make sure that uh, people are, are well compensated for the work they do. Uh, having said that, also the thing is. Um, we need. Um, we still have um, a way to go, and um, even the education system has a way to go because we need to shift to where people work best under under any circumstance. Like uh, a competency-based system would work best to support the gig economy because you develop the skills that you you have an interest in, and that's uh, and uh, you would need anybody to actually employ you. You just get on the app, say that this is what I offer. And I'm pretty sure with the way the development is happening in East Africa, uh, there will be a lot of opportunities for anybody offering the right skills or any skills for that matter, because the economy is growing on all, in all, in all areas and that, that would present opportunities for people. And also to that, to, it also moves you from the point of being an employee to actually managing yourself. And in this case, it just brings in a lot of all 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 manners of uh, uh, like social disciplines, like just being you know, managing your own time, being independent by yourself, and not expecting somebody to actually put in like some time for you. Like you need to be here nine to five, but you can be able to manage your own time, and that goes even to your work life balance. You can be able to balance your time, and uh, if you need to spend time with your family, spend it there. When you need to work, go and work. That would seem to me like a win-win, but um, to achieve that, there's a lot that has to go in there. There's a lot of um, support that is required from the government, from the people themselves, from the education system, from the regulators. 
that will be my closing remarks. Okay, Felix, thanks a lot. And I think a last thing that from observation that I would like to mention is also in the past, um, like the formal sector employment has been also very regulated. So for instance, for instance, being a lawyer myself, the laws, the law society, like for instance of Kenya, and for most the legal profession, whether it's in Uganda, Tanzania, South Africa, is very regulated to the extent that, like on Upwork, really will you go find a lawyer uh, advertising their services because you see advertising for lawyers is prohibited in most places. Or and then also like for accountants, uh, like those traditional professions have been very regulated, so that uh, for instance, even for an accountant, for you even to go. Uh, offer your services and and something. There's a form of regulation and license or something that you need, which you find is quite different. Like for instance, someone who has skills like IT skills or coding skills or software development skills, they, they are a bit more fluid and flexible to do some of these things. So I think some of those entrenched uh, regulations may also limit how much um, latitude there is for someone within some of the formal employment sectors to be able to explore within the gig economies. But then I think to be able to uplift the gig economy equally, the formal, the formal uh, employment needs also to be relaxed in a way that it can also transition to the gig side. Uh, but thanks a lot, uh, everyone, for your contributions tonight. This has been very enlightening discussion, demystifying this entire gig economy discussion within East Africa. And I am grateful that you guys came on tonight. And anyone who listens to this discussion later on, you can leave your comments and you can participate in the conversation. Uh, the whole point is to have these kinds of idea sharing across Africa. Thanks a lot, everyone, and have a good night.